what a wonderful thing to see so many uh, people out here today on this beautiful day. Again, what a blessing to uh, be uh, offered uh, this uh, this field. I know that uh, that that uh, Rusty and Jen have, have always thought of their things as, as something that God has given them to share with others. And, and thank you so much. Because what a blessing uh, this has been for you to share this this with us. Thank you. Um, we are continuing our our look through uh, Philippians, and we are in Philippians chapter four today. So, uh, if you don't have a, a your own Bible, we have some in the tables out back. You're free to take one home. But uh, Philippians chapter four, and we're going to be in verses five through seven. But I'm going to read uh, verses uh, four through seven, just uh, to sort of get back to last week when when Josh was was uh, teaching on uh, on uh, Paul's words in in verse. So, uh, and I just realized I was way forward in when I was uh, re- going through my sermon, so I got to get all the way to the back. Here we are. Cool. So, um, Philippians uh, chapter 4, starting in, in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Have you ever met somebody who is really strong? They may be strong physically, uh, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Uh, I, I had uh, occasion uh, throughout uh, earlier careers to work with some uh, with some special operators, and uh, contrary to the Hollywood image, those guys tend to be really quiet, gentle people until they don't need to be, or they're not supposed to be. Uh, the strongest person in the room rarely is the loudest. On, on the contrary, the strongest person, the most dangerous person sometimes in the room is, is the quietest. There's a gentleness, a confident peace uh, that comes through strength. And then the opposite tends to be true as, as well. Uh, brashness, loudness, bravado are often, often the evidence of weakness. There's an attempt to sort of hide that weakness, uh, hide that lack of confidence to to keep from being vulnerable. And that's true for us too. Think back to the last time uh, you raised your voice unnecessarily, or maybe uh, when you made a uh, snide remark or or even posted something that was sort of mean on, uh, on social media. Be honest with yourself. Did you do that out of a place of strength or was it out of weakness or anxiety? And then on the other hand, think about a time when maybe you were exceptionally calm. Most likely that came from a, a time when you had confidence. And to be sure, that confidence sometimes can come from our confidence in our flesh. It can be a false uh, confidence that's, that's built on something that really doesn't have that strength. But... If the appearance of peace can come out of even that, 
this false confidence based on something on which we should have no confidence, how much more should God's true, his pure, his perfect peace flow out of, it, out of us, manifest itself in us when we take hold of the firm foundation of faith in God Almighty who says he is the everlasting rock. In our text today, we're going to see that joy comes from uh, that perfect peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding, and we, that we receive that peace in Christ Jesus when we let the peace of God permeate our minds, knowing that the Lord is at hand. When we let the peace of God permeate our prayers, having faith in the God who hears. And when we let the peace of God permeate our actions, having faith that the Lord will bless our doing. And we're going to start by looking at these verses uh, at the, from the end, at the promised peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And we're going to try to understand that peace by defining it a little bit. So the world uses the word peace to mean just an absence of conflict. But in our hearts and in our minds, we know that that definition falls short. We know in history and even today that there are nations, even our own, which have maybe not been at war, but still not been at peace. And in our own lives, we, we have neighbors, we have relatives, co-workers, schoolmates, uh, family members, even spouses, children with whom we are not at war, but we still are not at peace either. Well, the peace that Jesus gives to us is not as the world gives or promises. When Jesus says to his disciples, peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, the word he used, whether he was speaking to his disciples in Hebrew, shalom, or in Aramaic, shalomah, it meant more than just an absence of conflict. It much more surpassing all understanding, not just the settling of scores, but the binding of wounds, and the restoration of wholeness and justice, and ultimately our salvation, bringing us into peace with God. Without justice, there can be no shalom peace. It's just peace faking. And without salvation, there can be no shalom peace. It is still peace breaking. And here is where we got to say that if you are not yet reconciled to God, his peace cannot be in you because you are still in rebellion at war with him. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has rebelled against his perfect goodness and has turned to his own way. Scripture tells us that. And that treason has earned a death sentence. We are powerless to escape it, to somehow sue for peace with God on our own terms. It is only because God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, has offered us peace through his son, Jesus Christ. That by trusting in Jesus's life, in his suffering, his, his sacrifice, his, his death, and his resurrection, in that 
alone, not on our own merits, we might be reconciled, brought back into right relationship to peace with God. Apart from faith in God, through Christ, we have no true peace, only a cheap and a deadly illusion of it. And yet, even if we have been saved by grace through faith, we often stumble and rebel. His shalom peace is not with us. Yet this peace is what Paul calls us. He calls us it, to allow us, or for us to allow it to permeate our thoughts, our prayers, and our actions. This, this peace that surpasses all understanding, this shalom that Jesus invoked when he stilled the waves, when he healed the sick, when he taught and sent his disciples, and, and then when he lamented over unfaithfulness and greeted comfort and exhorted his disciples after his resurrection. It is the same restorative peace that Peter proclaimed when he recognized that the gospel was for all nations. And it is the same peace that is promised to us when we sink our stakes of faith into the God Almighty, the everlasting rock, letting that peace permeate our minds, our prayer, and our actions. Going back to our text, we see that Paul first asks us to let that peace permeate our mind. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. If you're reading out of the ESV like I am right now, it says reasonableness. Your translation may say gentleness, maybe forbearance in, in spirit, uh, to be uh, uh gentle and, and whole uh, to, to be filled with this peace. Uh, it's a word that, that Paul uses elsewhere to indicate this, this non-violent, peaceful gentleness. Not timidity. As, as we're exhorted in Scripture, we are to be ready to give a defense for the faith, for the hope that, that rests in us. But then we're told to do this with gentleness and respect. A gentle strength in our spirit is what James refers to when he says, but wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So it comes to us that as we set, uh, this peace comes to us because we are able to set our minds on the truth that comes next in that verse. That the Lord is at hand. Going back to James again, he, he says us to be for us to be patient, like a farmer waiting for the rains on earth to bring forth the fruit from the land. And then he writes after that, "You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand." This kind of quiet, gentle, patient peaceful strength in our minds cannot come from a confidence in human flesh. But, but it's a manifestation of that promised shalom peace that comes to those who put their faith in the God Almighty, the everlasting rock. Isaiah writes, For you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And so Paul exhorts earlier, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice as 
Only those who cling to that everlasting rock are able to rejoice. And from this joy, let gentle, peaceful, reasonable, calm nature flow forth, that it might be known by everyone who sees us. Let God's perfect peace permeate our minds, because the Lord is indeed at hand. And as our minds are permeated with that perfect peace, and it takes hold of our minds, it helps to us to point our minds and our prayers into the proper direction for our needs. When Paul exhorts the Philippians to not to be anxious about anything, he echoes Jesus' words, his teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. The, the anxiety is a symptom of us taking our eyes off of God's peace and looking elsewhere in the world for it. Or uh, Jesus, when he tells uh, Lazarus' sister Martha, fix this before Steve loses. Uh, <laughs> when, he, when he teaches uh, uh, Lazarus' sister, sister Martha that we are not to look to our own efforts, but instead to Jesus, to sit in his lap. So when we, we let the peace of God permeate our mind, instead of being anxious about what we should eat, drink, wear, do, proclaim, or even respond in the face of persecution, we instead are able to put our trust in the same God who provides for the sparrow and provides for the lily and the evangelist and even the martyr. And so we let the peace of God permeate our prayers. And when we do, we find that our prayers become richer. And, and instead of simply going through a laundry list of what we want we get into a deeper communication with the Almighty God, filled with supplication, with, with pleadings, right? With requests, seekings, entreaties, but also filled with thanksgiving to God for what He has done, for what He is doing, and what He has promised to do. In this, we rejoice. Even now, for a little while, if necessary, we have been grieved with various trials. Knowing that the tested genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peace-soaked peace prayers requires this genuine faith. And only those who believe God to be the true everlasting rock, who believe Jesus to be who he says he is, who believe that the Holy Spirit is at work within and among us, can approach the throne of God and cry out in prayer and petition with thanksgiving and present our request to God and be confident in our hope that God not only hears but will answer. But what of us, those of us who struggle in that faith, who cannot resist the desire to be anxious for the things of this world or even anxious about the things of heaven? Take heart. Remember that Jesus meets the, the uh, demon-possessed boy whose father is struggling in his faith. It's his his father's faith is weak, but he pleads to Jesus. He says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. When Jesus challenged him, he cries out again to Jesus. He says, I believe, 
Help me with my unbelief. It wasn't just the father who, whose faith faltered, by the way. The reason the boy was still demon-possessed was because the apostles, the, the disciples, were unable to cast that demon out. They asked Jesus, why not? He said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. If your faith is weak, if you are struggling against the goads, if you are unable to let God's perfect peace permeate your minds, let it permeate your prayers. How can we get our minds free of anxiety? By casting our anxieties on him because he cares for you. From God's promises throughout scripture that if we will fix our eyes on him, if we will make him our delight, the object of our desires, he will respond by fulfilling those desires. He promises not just to give us the needs for the body, but even his own Holy Spirit, those who ask him. And that is the spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So when through faith in the Lord God, who is near, the peace of God has permeated our minds. And through faith in the Lord God, who answers, the peace of God has permeated our prayers. Then through faith in the Lord God, who blesses the actions of those who, does, who do his word, the peace of God will permeate our actions. There is a current narrative in, in our society uh, that, that says, uh, that cheapens the, the importance of thoughts in prayers. And I'll confess that when I hear people criticizing people who say, my thoughts and prayers are with you, it makes me bristle. And not just because it mocks God's power, to answer those prayers, to change those minds, but because it is a valid observation by the world that the actions of the church of God do not always measure up to the thoughts and prayers of the church of God. We as a church are often prone to stop with those thoughts and prayers. We focus our minds we focus our prayers, but we don't complete by following through with action. And if there are no words and action that follow those thoughts and prayers, then how are people to know our reasonableness? Instead of being doers of the word, we become hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Again, how is our reasonableness to be known to everyone if it remains inside of us, if there is no evidence of it? If the peace of God has truly permeated our minds so that they are fixed not on the things of this world, but on the things of heaven, in our prayers so that they are focused not on the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things, but instead a delight on the Lord uh, or for the Lord, then that same peace of God will permeate everything that we do. Because it is the peace of God permeating our actions that turns us from peace takers or peace breakers or peace fakers into peacemakers, both inside and outside of the church of Christ. Inside, it allows us to be that true companion 
It helps our Udiuses and our Syntakis to agree in the Lord. It helps us to demonstrate grace in our own conflicts, whether they are grievous ones that require repentance and restoration and forgiveness and reconciliation and maybe even discipline, or, or more minor ones that need to be covered with the love of Christ. To be sure, faith in the Lord Almighty, the everlasting rock, works an amazing transformation on the inside. It transforms our lives, we read in Romans, but through the remo renewal of our minds, our lives are transformed. And it draws us to a deeper communication with God, that everlasting rock. But... There is no evidence in Scripture or in the experience of the church that that gospel can be trapped inside of us. That it can be a light that is hidden under the basket. That it can be a talent that's buried under the ground, ready to be somehow presented to God in the last day as being kept safe from the world around us. No. The power of faith in the everlasting rock is made evidence when his peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our inner lives in Christ Jesus is expressed in a peace that lets our reasonableness be known to everyone through our words and our actions. You will not get right with God through works of peace. But if you are not doing God's work of peace, you are not right with God. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We also read, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, he, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Going back to this, this word peace, shalom, it's still used as a, as a greeting uh, in, in Hebrew. But the formal greeting is even more beautiful. If you go to a, uh, if, if you greet someone formally in, in, uh, in Hebrew, who's a woman, you would say, Mashalomech. Or if it's a man, you would say, Mashalomcha. And it means, how is your peace? What a beautiful greeting. But what a challenge, too. How is your peace? What disrupts your peace? What causes you to break, take, or fake peace? What keeps you up at night? What causes you anxiety? What leads you to say or do things that are out of step with the peace of God? Is it the worry of who will be elected in November? Is it the worry of who will be confirmed or not confirmed to the Supreme Court? Is it the effects of the coronavirus in our nation, our region, your family, friends, yourself? Is it the riots, the wildfires, racism, injustice? Is it your job or the lack of employment, your finances? Is it the projects that, that aren't getting done or that are resisting your attempts to get done? Is it what someone has said against you personally or against your tribe? Is it even something that you read on social media or on a billboard? That lack of God's perfect peace is a pretty good indicator that something is wrong. It may be the prod of the Holy Spirit that there is lack of peace in your mind, that, that our faith is wavering in the Lord's presence. It may be a prod that there is a lack of peace 
that's saturating our faith, our, our prayers, that we are looking somewhere else, somewhere other than God to answer and, and to listen. And it may be that there is a lack of peace permeating our actions, that we are not speaking or acting in a way that lets peace be known to those around us. And it may be that there is a lack of shalom, of justice, salvation, and peace in the world. And that revelation may indeed be a prod from the Holy Spirit to show us where the good works are, which he has prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. If that is the case, how do we let the peace of God permeate our actions? Let's take the lessons, or some lessons, from the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. When the priest and the Levite see the man who's been robbed, who's been beat up, maybe their thoughts and prayers went out to him. And yet it didn't change their actions. They crossed aside and they passed by him. But it was the Samaritan who Jesus said felt compassion on him. The peace that ruled his thoughts and prayers beforehand drove him to obedient action. He acted with his body, with his skills, with his time, with his wealth, his resources, and even his reputation. As he went to the man, he bound up his wounds. He, he poured oil and wine on them. He set the man on his own animal, brought him to an inn, paid for his care, and then with his reputation promised to pay more if more was needed to care for him. Thoughts and prayers are not enough. Thoughts and prayers, though, that are permeated with God's peace will result in actions that are likewise permeated with his peace that will let our gentleness, our reasonableness, be known to everyone who is around us. Do you want that to be known by those around you? Then, then hear Isaiah, what he says. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. A bunch of good commands there. To act, to do good. But I'm going to get dangerous here because it would be really easy to take something small, right? And, and say, how am I going to uh, act this week and look to, to do good, to, to seek justice in something small? I'm going to go with one that's, that's much more difficult for me and my bet is difficult for some of you as well to correct oppression. I know there's not just a great argument that's uh, causing terrible divisiveness in our, our nation, but that divisiveness right now around oppression and specifically racial oppression is causing divisiveness in our own families, among friends, neighborhoods. It is robbing us of God's peace. I'm going to poke here because it's an area that I am personally prone to want to devote my thoughts and prayers, but not my actions. And so how might it look if in the area of racism, of racial injustice and racial oppression, God's peace were to permeate our minds, 
permeate our prayers and permeate our actions. Because if I'm honest, I know that my mind has not been at peace in this area. I know my prayers have not been at peace. And I know that my words and actions have not been those of that true peace. And I don't think that I'm alone. I'm not asking you to embrace the arguments of critical race theory or of one particular organization or another, to take sides on a specific controversy, a tragedy, a crime. I'm just asking you to join me in a challenge, to ask God to make our reasonableness, our gentleness, our peace, our forbearance known to all around us when it comes to trying to do the first little bit to correct the injustices of racism and oppression. If you, like me, have been unsettled by the division, the hatred, the violence surrounding the issues of race and racism, it may mean that something is wrong. Wrong in this world that has not only fallen away from God, but is in open rebellion against its king. Wrong in our minds and that we are not fully established in the knowledge that the Lord is at hand. Wrong in our prayers that we are failing to bring our requests before God with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. And instead, we are looking in other areas, our own wisdom, our tribe, our other identity for those needs, those answers to be met. And wrong in our actions that we are ignoring the good work that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in it. So I don't know where this is really going, but I'm wondering if you will do this with me starting this week. This week I'm going to spend some time every day in the morning because that's before I get distracted. But I'm going to be contemplating, observing the world in my heart, my mind, through the scripture, through the lens of, of, of scripture, how my mind is lacking God's perfect peace on the subject of racism. And each day I'm going to spend some time dedicated in peace-soaked prayer that, that God will transform this world, my mind, and my heart. And in those prayers, I will also ask God how this small, mostly white congregation in rural New Hampshire may be being called to engage this subject in our world, to make our reasonableness known to it and to proclaim the perfect peace of God in our words and deeds. And so would you join me in this challenge to spend time each day committed to, to seek God's peace so that it would permeate our minds, our prayers, and our actions in the area of race and racism. And if so, a week from Tuesday, October 6th, we're going to have a meeting at 7 p.m. at the church. I'd just like to hear, what have you heard? What have you seen in Scripture? What, what do you believe God is calling us to do so that our reasonableness may be known to everyone? If you'd like to join in on that, send me a text, uh, leave me a message, uh, shoot me an email later this week. If this seems hard, if this seems unpleasant, 
uncomfortable, hear this encouragement from the letter to the Hebrews. For the moment, all discipline is painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight pathways for your feet. That what has been or what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Lord, your peace does surpass understanding, just like you surpass all understanding. And yet you call us to know you, to come to you. Uh, you describe yourself as our friend, as our father. Lord, break us. Uh, open our ears and our eyes and our hearts. Uh, transform our minds, transform our prayers, transform our actions. May we truly may we truly be doers of your word, not hearers only. May we be so enthralled with your truth, so, so driven to dive into the words, to, to know your heart, so overcome with it, that it drives us to give you praise and glory, to sing out to you in thanks, uh, to, to cry out to you with our needs, to, to, to plea with you for ourselves, for our community, for our church, and for this world. And so overcome with love for you that it also changes how we live. We pray this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.